all status, I'ma beat y'all back I pull up on the block in a big Corvette yeah. Riding around the city with a stick all black here. Welcome to the Roz Project, episode 98, with yours uh, truly. Uh, this is a podcast uh, where we talk about life, entrepreneurship, personal development, family tech, and marketing. Again, yours truly, Ivan Temelkov, and I'm your host. And we have a very special episode today. Uh, and before we jump into that, I also want to introduce uh, my lovely co-host, uh, Courtney Turner. Good morning, Courtney. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. So it's Friday. I can't believe that it's Friday. This week it has like completely just flown by is what it seems like. Yep. It, it does seem that way. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, uh, all right. So uh, I want to go ahead and introduce uh, our guest who we have today. And before I bring him in, I uh, just wanted to read his quick bio. His name is Mohammed Asif, and he is a serial entrepreneur, investor with background in finance, uh, having grown an international consulting business and removed himself from day-to-day -day operations. He now focuses on investing in great businesses and entrepreneurs. Um, he also massively believes in giving back and is about to launch a charity foundation with his wife that focuses on children's education and empowerment of women. Born and raised in Pakistan, he immigrated to the UK at the age of 17 with a suitcase and 2,000 pounds, which were then stolen from him, along with the suitcase. He slept on the streets, did four jobs, and got by to put himself through university, all while still helping his family back home. And he became a millionaire before the age of 30. Good morning, Mohammed. How are you? Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. I'm wonderful. How are you? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. So uh, I was getting very excited there as I was reading your bio because mm -hmm. I can so much you know, relate to it from an immigrant standpoint specifically. And uh, so with that being said, you know, let's start off with that. You know, let's talk a little bit about you. Take us back to, you know, the 17-year-old Asif and tell us a little bit about like what enticed you to even, you know, immigrate to the UK? Like how did that all come together? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it started off a little bit um, earlier from 17 years of age. I um, I wanted to be a cricketer, you know, back home, you know, this is a major sport. Uh, it's, we, we often joke and say it sort of runs in our veins. It's, it's a properly uh, cricket crazy country. And I was pretty good at it from a very young age. Uh, unfortunately, as it happened, my dreams were shattered when I had a pretty horrific accident um, at the age of 10 uh, and broke my leg in, in really in a bad way. And I was told by surgeons and doctors that unfortunately professional sport is probably going to be very, very difficult next to impossible. So, you know, life had its own sort of plans for me as opposed to just being a professional sportsman. So whilst I was recovering uh, in the hospital um, from this uh, operation and, and injury, I watched a, a talk show and the host on the talk show was talking actually about finance and how basically an, a proper understanding of finance can help change the world and eliminate poverty. Now, I grew up in a developing country. And so from a very young age, I was very sensitive to feeling other people's pain and seeing all those injustices. And this just 
resonated. So I thought, okay, well, if I'm not going to be a cricketer, this is what I'm going to do. Um, unfortunately, though, if you're born in an Asian family, um, your options of, uh, of, of becoming uh, when you grow up, is either to become a doctor or an engineer, as your parents <laughs> want you to do. Now, my dad uh, was a very successful civil engineer, and he wanted me to do that. And I said, that's not going to happen. He then actually threatened to say, I'm not going to pay for your uni. And I said, fine, don't. I'm going to study finance, and I'm going to do it myself, and I'm going to England to do it. And so basically, I cobbled together a couple of grand from um, some friends, and you know, the rest of the money dad reluctantly lent me. Uh, yeah. yeah, so he decided to jump on a plane and came here for uh, in search of A, to prove myself that I can do this, B, for a better life, and C, get to a certain level and then give back and help people. Right, right. Yeah. You know, that's that's yeah. a very interesting story. As you were saying that, you know, your family had expectations of you, you know, too. Because I think, you know, as an immigrant, it's just that, and I can totally relate that in a way. It's because, you know, I think my parents had certain expectations for me to do certain things. And yeah. let's just say that I failed them miserably by like mm -hmm. totally not doing anything or even remotely of what they had expectations for. And so but, you know, what was really interesting in your story, like you said, is this that, you know, so you immigrated to the to the UK. Right. And you had some cash. But then, you know, you get robbed. So like. When you get robbed, like what's going through your mind at that time? Like, what was your, can you remember going back to the age of 17? Like, what was your reaction at that time? Can you remember? Yeah. I mean, I think um, the, the first thing was that I was a little bit shocked and I didn't actually believe that that happened because, you know, you sort of hear stories that you come to England. It's a sort of a gentleman like country and none of this sort of mm -hmm. stuff is ever going to happen and everybody's going to look after you and so on. But, you know, I, 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 used to call these years sort of challenging years um, and tough years because I had to sleep rough and all that. But right. later in life, I realized that these were the growth years. You know, all these storms and challenges helped me become a better person who I am today. I think the one, there were actually two things that, that really, in fact, I, I'd say actually there were three things um, that I, I, I can go back, I can transport myself back to that time and still feel those those emotions that I was going through. The very first one was, um, an unwavering belief that despite all of this, I'm still going to do this um, yeah. because, you know, I don't want to call dad again and say, oh, yeah, I think you were right. Maybe that's what I should have done. And so, you know, there's, there's a thing that you have to look in yourself in, in the mirror and say, look, I gave it my best shot. Uh, and until I'd done that, I, you know, the, this wasn't okay for me. So, you know, the belief for me was very essential. And I think the second thing was an attitude of gratitude. Now, coming from an immigrant, a developing immigrant country, uh, you know, this was still a huge thing for me that I could still yeah. eat and and so on. Um, and I think the third thing really, uh, and this was hugely strengthening, was my mother's smile. I mean, I, I can still see that. I close my eyes and I see, and it just used to give me that extra push, that extra strength that was needed to, you know, to get through those those tough times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting when you were sharing that is because uh, you said growth years that you realized later on that these were like the growth years, because I think that when you kind of fall in that situation, most people's instant reaction is fear and chaos and they, they feel disoriented. They feel lost. They don't know how to react. And it's interesting that, you know, you said that these were like the growth years, because I think that you know, thinking back to that 17 year old when you were robbed, uh, you know, that was probably the one time in your life where you were forced to think the most strategically to think like, OK, oh, shit, what now? 
You know, like, yeah. what am I, what am I going to do now? Like I'm lost. I've got nothing. Right. And I think, you know, with what's happening right now in the world too, is that I think a lot of people kind of, you know, feel lost, you know, I almost feel like they're almost unwilling to think strategically and creatively, you know, for, for themselves to understand that, you know what, maybe there's nobody coming to save you. The only person that's going to save you is you from yourself. And you have to figure out, you know, what that looks like. And that's what you did, right? It's like you figured out, okay, I, I've got two options. One is fall into self-pity and dwell on this loss or two, figure out what am I going to do next? So what did you do next? How did you, how did you escape that situation? Yeah, I think, by the way, what you said there is, is, is very true. And, and that's exactly it. You, the, you know, um, my mother used to say that your story about rain is going to direct your life. So what that means is that if you're standing, two people standing in the rain would have different um, understanding and, and the way of explaining it. One person could say, well, this is just wonderful. I can feel the rain touch my face and the breeze and it's just a wonderful experience. The other person would be saying, oh my God, my life's miserable. I hate this and all that sort of stuff, especially in, in England, by the way, with, with yeah. it raining all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, so your story about rain directs, uh, you know, how you live your life. And and for me, you know, this was this was a growth opportunity. I think what I decided to do was to say, right, I have firm belief in my own ability until and unless I've given it the absolute best shot. I'm not giving up. So let's wake up and start to do this. I end up uh, remembering, I think I had 32 pounds left in my pocket and only the clothes that I was wearing. And that's about it and uh, no place to stay as such um, and having to do all of that and then eventually nobody would believe me because my passport was also lost because that was part in, in, in the suitcase I, I, I reluctantly put it there because I thought that would be the safest place and then people wouldn't believe me that I'm a you know a legal immigrant they would say well you know who yeah. are you how, how do you prove yourself and so I had to find work I think the key was thinking strategically to say right uh money because that's the first step i need to ensure that i have enough right. to get by and eat and so on and so started looking for work and because nobody would believe that i'm a legal immigrant they would pay me less than minimum wage and it was like lots of jobs that would give me a pound an hour but again you know immigrant mindset you'd say i'm gonna do it no problem because if the good days haven't hadn't you know if, if they didn't um yeah. survive the bad won't either so yeah i found four different jobs that would pay me i think in, in the cumulatively about 10 pounds well one of them was uh working in a vegetable market um one of them was stacking shelves and mopping floors um one of the and then i'd go to university in the meantime too by the way that was one thing that i did not let go of i said i'm i'm absolutely going to ensure that i still put myself through uni because mm -hmm. that is going to give me the competitive edge and then in the night, I would do sort of securities out in the streets with, um, you know, sort of looking after the fountains and all that sort of stuff. So the pe drunk people wouldn't go and bash those things about. Um, and that circle would continue. I mean, I'd literally have the chance to sleep on the bus. That's it. Yeah. You know, and but, yeah. You know, the, the whole year just sort of went by like that. You know, as Courtney was asking uh, the question around what kind of jobs you were doing, right? You know, I think one of the biggest misconceptions that people have is just that when you reach success and fame and wealth, whatever that looks like, you know, because I think most people are attributed to money, really, with success and wealth, is just that I think they tend to forget that, you know what, there was a point in time in my life that I used to do odd jobs. Yeah. And it's almost like, you know, they forget how to be humble, you know, how to be grateful, because 
honestly, I know I know a lot of people that you know have reached uh, you know uh, goals and dreams beyond their wildest dreams ever, and they never forget where they came from. And those are the people that I have the biggest respect from. It's just that, uh, as the saying goes, that, you know, treat the janitor in the same way that you treat the CEO. You know, that's huge, you know, because most people nowadays, there's a lot of people that will treat the CEO differently than they treat the janitor, you know, because like they've developed this egocentric mentality that they're above everybody else because their status quo has changed. And I think that those are those are the people that are very shallow, I think, to me, is because they forget where they came from. So it's interesting when you were talking about these odd jobs that you did, because it sounds like you still have that humble, you know, that the humbleness, that gratitude and realizing that, you know what, like never forget where you came from, because we all started somewhere. We all did odd jobs. We all had to, you know, strive for survival before we, we, we got to where we are today. And it's really like when you said you were sleeping on the bus, you know, like. Most people don't understand that, like, you were still living. In fact, that was probably one of the most vigorous times in your life. Like, you were living. You were alive. You were energetic. You were proactive. And, like, that's what a lot of people don't understand is that even when you reach a certain level in entrepreneurship or life to where it's, like, money in the bank, you know, you got the dream house, the dream cars, maybe you're married, you got kids, like you got it all, right? Like, even then you're still doing odd shit. In fact, those are the times that you're still like, you know, talking to the janitor or might even do odd jobs, like, you know, put up the, the, you know, wet floor sign in the mall or something. If you walk by, like, when I see people like that, that are like, you know, of status quo, and they're living their life, and they've achieved goals and dreams, I'm like, Holy shit, man. Like these are humble people. There's still humble people left in this world that are not overlooking others because they have a status quo. So it's it's really humbling to to hear that. I want to shift the convo a little bit to, you know, one thing that you mentioned here, you know, in your uh, in your in your bio, too, is this that, you know, you're very organized with your thoughts and perseverance and having that immigrant mindset and being very solution oriented. I want to talk a little bit about being solution oriented. How do you arrive to like being solution oriented? How do you, you know, tackle situ- problematic situations and how do you come up with solutions, you know, to to rectify those situations? I think the very first thing here to say and the essence of it really is um, it, the entrepreneurship actually means solving real world problems that's it i mean that's what entrepreneurs do they change agents mm-hmm. they look at a problem and they find a way to solve it and the re- and the reason that happens and really for me number one point of that is the fact that you can sit down and think about it so when you started and by the way mental activity is not thinking i, I see this all the time these days you know you talk to the younger generation particularly uh, or, or people that are continuously on social media and just flicking things through mindlessly and I often say well aren't you sort of why don't you do some constructive thinking and the answer is well I am yes but mental activity is not thinking thinking is when you really slow everything down go into that really peaceful serene place inside and tap into that higher vibration that higher energy that's all around us and ask the right question right because the answer is always there but you have to start asking the right question that's why wise people are always asking the right questions Um, That's one thing. And the other thing I think I heard from, I think, Tony Robbins, he said that there's no lack of resources. It's just resourcefulness. 
right? So whatever's around, you need to yeah. make use of it. And again, you know, I, I go back to my, my beginnings, which keep me grounded, really, is that, you know, back home, when things aren't available, you have to make it work. And and so, you, you know, it's sort of, you, you can train yourself to do that. And I realized that as soon as you start to organize your thoughts in a certain way, solutions just start to follow because it forces you to ask the right questions. Yeah. Well, one thing that you said that really got me is asking the right questions. That really, you know, stood out to me because, and you were speaking of social media, you know, someone like me who being in the digital space for 26 years is that, I mean, I remember the day Facebook started. I remember the day MySpace started. I remember the day like AOL was popular and I was popping, you know, my dial-up internet CDs. And it was like high school days when I should have really been doing homework or something, something more educational. I was like dicking around on the computer. But, you know, what's really interesting that you said is like social media, how people scroll. And so many, many people think that they're thinking strategically, but they're not asking the right questions. You know, they might have good intent, but they're not asking the right questions. Yeah. And the right questions, I think, to ask the right questions is that you need to have the knowledge and education and experience to know what question to ask. And the reason I'm saying this is because in being more self-aware about yourself and knowing what those questions are and how do they pertain to you in your reality? And Courtney and I have talked about this in the previous episode about, you know, realities and the reality of things is that there's, you know, Three different realities. In this case, actually, we're talking about three different realities. So let's see if your reality, there's Courtney's reality and there's my reality. And actually, there's a fourth one because there's the reality of the world of like how things in actuality are. And most people, in fact, I, I got into an argument with a family member recently and it really got me thinking about like realities. Right. And I think most people perceive reality as the way things are. Right. Like in their own, their own world, their own bubble. And that's the way that the world should be. They think that's the way that the world operates. No, that's not how the world operates. I hate to, to no. break it to you. And those are, I think, the people that are just not looking at things realistically. Right. But when you were saying asking the right questions, I think it's a matter of like asking the right questions that pertain to you, yeah. to your reality, to your world. And why? I think it's because when you ask the right questions, you can get the right answers that pertain to you, that are going to be applicable to you. They're going to be applicable to your life, to your, to your business journey, to entrepreneurship, right? Because if you're asking the wrong questions and then you're not getting the, the right answers, then you get frustrated. That's what happens with a lot of people, actually, believe it or not, because they're not asking questions. And social media is, look, I love social media. I really do. But I think social media is a lot of perspective and opinions for the most part. And people are not asking the right questions that really pertain to their own scenarios, to their own world. In fact, I've been trying to do more of this actually on Instagram when I publish content is like ask the right questions that pertain to me, only me, because I'm trying to get answers and input from other people. Courtney? Yeah. yeah so I, I'm curious, how do you find the right questions to ask? Well, for me, uh, I think there's a quote, I, I believe it's by James Allen. Uh, you know, he was a Victorian little author back at the turn of the century, he wrote a book called As a Man Thinketh, which, by the way, for me is, is my number one read. If anybody wants a recommendation, that's the book you need to read. It will tell you all about thoughts and how to organize them. I think he said that until and unless thinking is linked with purpose, 
there's no intelligent accomplishment. So you've got to decide, first of all, what your purpose is. You know, having gone through the last 17 years of my life, um, you know, from starting literally from nothing when I came here to now owning well over 17 businesses and growing an international and global business effectively, I came up with sort of a six-step formula. And the number one thing on that is come up with your purpose, have a big bloody vision. Because if you don't have it, any thinking you do is just going to be a bit of here and a bit of there, really. So you're going to get that purpose. Once you have that, then you find that all the thinking that you do is more geared. You know, it's almost like, uh, I think the best example I can think of right now is, is a cement truck. If you're trying to build a pavement, there's a whole cement truck that comes full of cement. If you do not put any any sort of mold around it, it will just go everywhere. But as soon as you put a mold into it, you can create this really nice, lovely walkway. It's the same with your thinking. As soon as you give it a mold to think through, you know, with a purpose, um, you'll be able to organize them and uh, therefore ask the right questions. So what, yeah. for you, what, what, was, what you, was your purpose and how did you find it? I think the very first thing um, really for me was where I came from. I, as I said earlier in, in the program that um, I've always been very sensitive to feeling other people's pain. And I wanted to be able to uh, explain to people how they can change their lives, how you can alter it. And by being an example, because, you know, you can read a book, there's shed loads of mentors who tell you all sorts of stuff. Um, but when you become an example and stand in front of somebody, that's a different answer because you can they can actually really see and relate to you, particularly as an immigrant. They can really relate to you. You know, yeah. I love Bill Gates. He's one of my heroes, but it's very difficult for people to relate to him. But a lot of people back, certainly from Pakistan, could quite easily relate to me. You know, I was like them. I grew up in a normal, humble family and, and then decided to come over. Um, and so my purpose was to, to, to build something up. Um, and, and provide people with employment and then get to a certain level where I can then provide sophisticated capital and mentorship to people, uh, to entrepreneurs uh, who are already helping other problems, um, uh, uh, helping the world solve other problems that are currently existing. So that was my big thing to say, right, this is what I'm going to do, as opposed to just saying, yeah, I want a million quid. Once you've made it, that's it. Well, it can't be it. You know, there's going to be something bigger, something higher. And ultimately, what you find is that as you're on that journey, yes, the money and all that comes to you and that's kind of OK, but it's who you become. Right. Uh, you know, five years ago, the problems I'm, I'm solving today, I couldn't have even dreamt of solving those 10 years ago. The problems I hopefully will be solving in 10 years, I can't think of today. And so I think that's the great thing about this. Yeah. No, that's a, a one thing I wanted to add to that is Courtney asked about purpose is that it's actually kind of ironic because um, I was watching a video from Damon John recently and it was talking about a moving target. You know, you can't hit a moving target, you know, you can't, but yeah. it's extremely hard. Yeah. And so the moving target yeah. is your purpose or defining that purpose. And it's really important to define that purpose because it's that driving factor. You know, and I think in entrepreneurship specifically, too many people are swayed by the materialistic things in entrepreneurship, even some seasoned entrepreneurs that I've seen because they're just chasing money. They're chasing, you know, fancy cars. They're chasing big houses. They're mm. chasing, you know, big bank accounts, you know, and yeah. uh, I think there's only a few entrepreneurs out there who truly, truly, like you said, five, 10 years ago you know, down the road that they're still chasing the same purpose. Like the consistency factor behind chasing your purpose relentlessly, endlessly 
that's really the key challenge here is because, you know, when you have a strong enough purpose, and, and this is something that I personally have struggled with, but once you find that purpose, like, you know, I mean, you know, you get up every morning invigorated, knowing that you have something that you're like pulling towards, you know, something that's like bringing you. And regardless of whether you slept bad or, you know, you're aching because you worked your ass off at the gym the night before, you're still getting your ass up because that purpose is driving you relentlessly. And that's how I feel every day because I've got a strong enough purpose and I know what I want. Go ahead, Corey. So I'm curious um, because I think people have different beliefs on this. And I think that, uh, you know, absolutely purpose is very motivating and it's a great driving factor. I think it is the driving factor for human being, but a lot of people really struggle to find it. Um, and, you know, I think some people believe, I, I personally actually don't believe that you just find it. It's not like, you know, scavenger hunt and you find it somewhere, you know, the, the, the pot of gold. Um, I, I think that you created, I, I do believe in, you know, free agency and we, I don't think you create it out of thin air. I, I think that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of experiences and uh, your personal makeup that contribute to creating it. But I'm curious your thoughts on that and what your advice for people who are really struggling to find some sense of purpose. I think my number one advice for that, and this is how I found it, um, is to wake up, wake up an hour or two earlier every day, really. Uh, it does two things. One, it, it forces you to create a new habit. And, and ultimately, whenever you find your purpose, you will need to get on, you, you'll need to change a few habits uh, of how you've been living now in order to accomplish it. So what I used to do was, and I still do this today, to, to, to the day, uh, wake up an hour or two earlier uh, compared to everybody else. And actually, for me, this was a relatively easy thing because back home, we all wake up very early in the morning for prayers and, at 5 a.m. And so that's kept on with me even now, with whether it's the weekend or not, I still wake up at 5. Um, come downstairs, you know, make a nice cup of tea, grab a pen, not a computer, an actual pen, and write. start writing. Start writing your thoughts. And what I realized um, would happen is that, you know, I'd, I'd start putting, jotting some thoughts down. Some days nothing would come. Some other days great inspiration would come. And slowly but surely, it just starts to build. What happens, you see, is in, in, in the process of creativity is that writing causes thinking. Thinking causes feelings. Feelings cause actions and ultimately actions cause results. So really, my advice to anyone is uh, wake up an hour early, whatever time you wake up now, just start to get up a bit earlier. And then, you know, just with a clear mind, put your phones, everything away, uh, just a fresh piece of paper every morning and a pen and start writing. Um, that's one thing. And the other thing that, that will actually come out of this, uh, which is super useful, is that you'll gain an extra nine hour, nine, nine weeks in a year, uh, you know, um, nine 40 hour weeks. And if you use them correctly, um, you could it could give you the competitive advantage and edge. So what I did was I, I would take that time and get mentored. Uh, I was very fortunate to meet Bob Proctor um, and, and be enrolled on his program and sort of learn amazing stuff from it, which was frankly life-changing. But I used those extra nine hours that are simply created by waking an hour earlier uh, in order to help that. That's amazing. That's, you said Bob Proctor, right? Yes. Okay, so what's okay i wanted to touch upon what you talked about waking up early obviously you know if you don't know who bob proctor is then you know living under a rock basically <laughs> you know uh for most people but you 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 what was really interesting about what you said is, is how you created more time and what entrepreneurs actually don't understand is this is that 
you know, you win the day by waking up early. That's probably been a struggle and still is a struggle for me is that there are some days, but most days doesn't happen. But you can win the day by waking up early because you get an advantage over everyone else. And when you do that consistently over time, you're creating more time. And it goes back to, you know, work while they're sleeping, you know, strategize while they're partying. And like, I think, well, personally for me, as it says, I'm getting older, I'm 40 years old now. And I'm starting to realize that like, you know, the shit I did in my twenties is like no longer fun. You know, it hasn't <laughs> been for years. Not to mention that it was expensive. So why not like, you know, allocate that time to like, thinking about my business and thinking about my future and thinking about my family and like building pillars that are actually going to create longevity to where, you know, five years from now, two years from now, three years from now, I can just get up and say, you know what, I can go travel with my family for a month around the world and I can afford it. And I don't have any strings attached to do it. You know, like, I mean, what's not, you know, what, why, why wouldn't you be able to do that? You know, there's fun in that, you know, to go and travel, which by the way, you know, anyone that's watching and listening to is that if you don't travel outside of your city, of your state or of your country alone, you yeah. haven't seen, you haven't experienced. Because I think the cultural, you know, once you experience different cultures, it really gives you a different perspective. And I think it also helps you build more gratitude because I'm going to bring it back to like, you know, being an Eastern European, I remember when McDonald's opened in Bulgaria and like, you know, my Bulgarian friends were so excited that, about the fact that they could go to McDonald's. And like, here we are in the United States, like you can drive your ass through the drive through and get a cheeseburger, you know, like it's nothing, you know. So like and by the way, I'm, I'm no longer a fast food junkie, but I was for a lot of my younger years. But like the principle of that is just that the accessibility that exists in countries that like the United States of America that in other parts of the world that doesn't. I remember when I got my driver's license at 16 and like my friends were like, wait, you got a driver's license at 16? Like I can't even get one for another two years. And that's even pending on whether or not I pass my driver's test. Which, By the way, back in Bulgaria, like at the age of 18, when you're taking like the driver's ed test equivalent, it's like literally it's like signing away your kidney, basically. Like it, it, what it feels like. So like, but that mentality is important to understand because suddenly it makes you more grateful, understand that, you know what, maybe I am more fortunate. And, you know, something that I actually wanted to bring up to that is in part of Courtney's story, which anyone watching and listening, go and check out Courtney's podcast too, the Courtney Turner podcast, because, you know, when, when you realize that, you know, you got a pair of eyes, pair of ears and two hands and two feet and you're suddenly doing a lot better than everybody else, like yeah. everything else will work itself out. Yeah. You just need to be proactive. You need to be solution oriented and you need to be more sensitive and appreciative about the things that you have, because you know what? There's people who are less fortunate than you out there. I can guarantee you that. And I think that's what, especially in entrepreneurship, that like you said in the beginning, I see if it's that's, you know, entrepreneurship is really about, you know, creating solutions to problems. And if you're a problem solver, I mean, literally, you just apply yourself a little bit more and suddenly you're you're a, a solution. You're a practitioner. You're helping people solve problems. And that can be the start of a business of one business that helps you solve, you know, uh, people's problems or one set of problems, you know, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand that and how that really all comes together because, 
to most people, especially youngsters. I mean, we see this on Instagram, right? Every day, like they're, they're just like popping up and like trying to be overnight success. And, you know, I'm going to be the next, you know, a rapper or the next so-and-so. And it's like, nah, I mean, unless you were born with a silver spoon, maybe, but even then, you know, it's a long shot. Right. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, so I want to talk more about, you know, entrepreneurship. I want to talk more about, you know, uh, the consulting side of it. So you said, if I correct me if I'm wrong, 17 different businesses, right, is what you're currently involved in. Let's talk about a couple of those businesses and what do they do? Sure. Yeah. So um, uh, thankfully, our portfolio currently ranges from um, health and fitness to technology businesses uh, to furniture import and export uh, consulting. Um, And we're in the process now of also uh, focusing on um, getting a fund launched, uh, which would basically provide seed capital for a lot of these amazing, clever ideas that are really popping up. I think COVID um, in some respects was great in, in, in getting creativity out because sometimes you find that when your back is against the wall, uh, that's when you have to start thinking creatively and really some good stuff comes. So these days we're finding some amazing entrepreneurs and so we decided that we should set up a nice fund to really help them um, get access to the capital and actually then at the same time mentor them because I always find you can find capital. But, you know, if, you, if, if you're not getting the right coaching, um, then, it, you know, you can blow it and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, in terms of businesses then, so um, currently, yeah, as I said, we've, we've got a few things. So uh, I, I want to talk about two in particular. Um, and this is all part to do with my um, purpose in life, which was, you know, partly to have this empowerment of women sort of sorted. So we, we launched a uh, my personal trainer, who is an amazing woman uh, called Daria Gambles. Um, she specialized in pre and postnatal and so realized that actually uh, women, particularly when they're pregnant, they don't get the right support from a fitness perspective uh, or they themselves kind of let go and they say, oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be a mom now and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also from a postnatal depression point of view. So we'd been chatting and we both knew kind of each other's strengths and weaknesses because you'd been training me for a couple of years. And I said to her, Daria, why don't you run your own business and, um, you know, would, would sort of help you get it, get it launched and so on. So let's sit down, brainstorm the ideas. And I think within the space of sort of six months, we went from conceptualizing it properly to opening our own studio, which is now doing fabulously well. And we've helped amazing lots of women at the moment, uh, both from pre and postnatal perspective. And these days, because of COVID again, we started doing Zoom classes and now we're going to be doing them all across the world, which is fabulous. Uh, part of the other thing that we want to do is to launch a, um, a female uh, pregnancy gym wear, uh, where, where, you know, sort of they can, it's called contour. So the whole point is that, you know, women can still feel kind of sexy and, and great whilst they're pregnant still. Yeah. Um, so that's one which is doing great. Um, we also have another business, it's, it's in tech. Um, and what we realized was that um, this was a problem in Pakistan or certainly in developing countries. And we, again, wanted to fix it whereby um, we we find, uh, again, this is cultural, um, that women, they go to school, they get amazing education, then they get married and they have kids, and then that's kind of goodbye to life, pretty much. You know, now we're just going to look after the kids for 10 years. Yeah, um, right. then, they want, then they come out and they want to do something, but everything that they learned or studied is kind of already massively outdated. And But they're very entrepreneurial, so they come up with, they start their own boutique or fashion range or something, but unfortunately, they don't have the access to markets like we do here in the West. 
So we decided to create something called Her Floor. It's called H-E-R and Floor. So the whole point is that it's, it's women only. We've got a community of about 83,000 women on it already. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, fully funded by us, by, by ourselves. Um, and we designed this technology whereby, you know, you could be in Islamabad in one city. And if you create these amazing embroideries or paintings or clothes or whatever it may be or, or shoes for that matter you then have access to be able to sell to the other parts of the country as well we aim to launch that in the gcc countries which is middle east and also india and so on which is a major market um but you know again solving problems really for people whereby these women couldn't get access to customers outside of the city that they were living in but now they can because we provided yeah. them with this platform so if you're a buyer you it's free for you to join if you're a seller you pay a small subscription but you know it just opens up a huge domain for you there's 215 million people in pakistan alone and and 54 of them are women so, <laughs> so oh, it's a wow. huge yeah that's 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 a huge number you know one thing um as you were talking about these different businesses because i wanted you to share you know obviously uh you know some of these businesses because um you know i'm i personally get excited about you know different businesses when they get started because they're solving a problem or multiple problems, you know, out there in the world. And um, uh, one thing that I came to mind is that uh, the riches are in the niches. I just heard this recently. Yeah. And, um, and as you were kind of describing, it is very niche, like you said, especially with women, which I had no idea that 54% of the population of Pakistan is women. That's a huge number, you know, but um, that, you know, women get education and then it's kind of like almost they put their lives on hold because they prioritize motherhood. And I think, you know, uh, a lot of that happens. You know, it's very frequent where, you know, in marriages, it's like, you know, you become a mother. It's like that. That's your calling. Right. It's like I'm going to be a mother. Right. So, like, put your life on hold for 18 years or 15 years or however long and not do anything with your education and, you know, sacrifice, you know, ideas. And it's like so I think that's huge. You know that yeah. you guys are helping women, you know, specifically being able to take that knowledge and be able to pursue it to start businesses. You know, I take also that to add, Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt, but I also wanted to add that that the one side is the sacrifice and thinking that that's your calling and so mm-hmm. on. I think the other side is that if you end up doing that and use the amazing creative ability that's been given to you and your entrepreneurship you're also selling the world short. I mean, I think, you know, uh, uh, Pakistan's probably not the only country with that uh, demographic of women. I think yeah. just globally, these days, there's, there's probably more women around, which is awesome. But we want them to use uh, their yeah. amazing skills and talents and abilities. So you don't want to be selling the world short either by not utilizing them. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. And I actually uh, thought about the Beyonce song. Uh, what is it? Uh, women Run the World, I think it's something along those lines. But, you know, you're absolutely right, because, um, you know, looking at like social networks like Pinterest, you know, is 90 percent of the audience is female. Right. And females are usually the decision makers in households, you know, so they always have an upper hand. But I think that the entrepreneurial community for a very long time has been predominantly ran by by males. You know, women just haven't really I mean, there's women entrepreneurs out there, obviously, you know, Courtney being one of them, too. And she's had an amazing career as well. But I feel like, you know, when you look at the scales, it's like, you know, males far greatly outweigh the entrepreneurial community. So we do need more women in the entrepreneurial space. And, 
You know, uh, I had a conversation a while back, actually, with uh, another female entrepreneur that really got me thinking that's relevant to this conversation is that I think the fear factor is different. The risk factor for uh, men and women is different when it comes to entrepreneurship specifically, because I think men just are, you know, most men risk more, at least. And I think women are kind of like afraid, you know, because it's that that failure, you know, at least that's a large portion, not all, but a large portion. I think a lot of that's biological. I mean, men are mm-hmm. much more wired to biologically yeah. to risk. That's if true. you think yeah. about them being the providers, the hunters, you know, they're going out into the wild to hunt, you know, that that's a big risk. Uh, whereas women, because they are the ones who bear children, and usually are there to nurture and uh, you know, physically take care of the children. Uh, there is a security need for them. Um, and so th- that's also why they typically look to men to be their protectors and providers. Um, so I think there is a huge biological component. That's not to say that females can't be uh, great entrepreneurs. But I, I think one of the things that I, I really love that you were saying is that you work with the, the creativity and the skills that sets that they have um, because I think that we really need to honor and celebrate you know how men and women are different and how they work together um, yeah. instead of trying I think as a culture it's kind of a global phenomenon that you know that we see this trying to uh, mix gender roles and I, I don't think that's productive at all I think that women can contribute to the entrepreneurial space in you know, their own way. And I think that way has tremendous value, but, you know, it should be theirs and it should be, you know, their feminine contributions as opposed to trying to fit into a male uh, space yeah. per se, you know? So, yeah. 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 I think that's very true. You, know, you don't want to be in a, in a position where you're just conforming, right? And mm-hmm. just, and, and you end up conforming by, by being some, something and somebody that you're not. You're a woman and you should really celebrate that and bring that to for in fact we find that you know men bring a different from a risk profile perspective they bring a different thing to 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 the business but i think women also bring something else you know they bring the care just a different perspective really and and sometimes as a result you think that that's a better thought through decision than just saying yeah look this is risky i'm just going to go ahead and do this sometimes they just allow you that little time to think through uh, things and, and that's you know some, sometimes the maternal inting, instincts come through and and and, and they're great yeah. yeah no that's a really good point and actually since we have a little bit more time is i, I want to kind of shift the conversation towards the personal development side of things uh because uh that's obviously big whether it's in life or on entrepreneurship and you know i want to get your thoughts to see if on personal development and some suggestions because um and before we jump into that actually when you were talking about, you know, men and women, how to differentiate in entrepreneurship, like the first thing I thought of, it's like, you know, most males are like, let's crash and burn. Let's give it all. Right. And my women are like, well, we can crash and burn, but let's like crash and burn in style. Yeah. <laughs> creative approach to it. Let's have a diligent approach to it. Like, I feel like, and you're absolutely right. And, 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 you know, I think women add that creativity level to this. Uh, as well that I think most men miss also. I mean, we've seen, uh, I know that in recent times over the last couple of years when uh, General Motors specifically, one of the biggest automotive makers in the world, hired their first female CEO. That was pretty big because I think historically in a corporation of that size, I mean, they have never had a, a female CEO. So this is a whole new flair 
for a, one of the biggest corporations in the world, you know, to bring that to the mix. And I was personally very excited about it because uh, ever since that has happened, I think, you know, General Motors specifically, you know, has taken a, a more cordial, more creative approach to automotive in general. And that was, I think, much needed. It was just needed a different dynamic. So but let's talk a little bit about personal development. You know, I want to I want to get your thoughts on personal development and entrepreneurship in life. What are maybe some suggestions, you know, that you can share with the audience? I think um, the, the, the first point to say is that the absolute and utter best investment that you can make is in yourself. And the way to do that is not necessarily to go and buy the, the flashy Aston Martin or whatever. It's, it's in knowledge because, you know, a good man can be wiped out a thousand times, but what's in here in his mind will be his forever that or hers forever. That can never be taken. And so I always say that that's the investment that you really want to make. I think Warren Buffett said that it will pay the best dividend, and it's very, very true. Um, I was fortunate enough to have my parts crossed with, as I said, Bob Proctor and, and get that holistic approach. I mean, I think one of the things I also found out was that um, – the difference between a coach and a mentor, uh, you know, a coach is very performance driven. So they will give you a specific task and they will, you know, in, 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 say in football or cricket or golf or whatever it is, they, it's a specific task and they're trying to improve your golf swing or your goal scoring ability and so on. Whereas a mentor takes a more of a holistic approach and realizes that in order for you to change anything on the outside, whether that's your business, your, your life, your health, your relationships, you have to go inside and change it from within. And once right. that happens, everything outside starts to starts to really come come together. So really, I think it's very essential that we take that time and, and give it to ourselves and improve our ability. And then what you realize is that the growth curve will slowly start to accentuate towards you and the results will start to come because you're improving the person that you are. And the other thing that I find is that there comes a point when all that knowledge in real life, but also personal development knowledge, it ends up becoming wisdom. So you then have this very calming effect on others and, and on yourself. And really, a better way of thinking is when you're calm. You know, if, if you imagine there's all kind of rush and noise coming in at you, it's very difficult to sort of really focus and properly think and grow. Um, so, you know, that was, this is why I think... Um, essential really to spend some time and investment in in personal development because you can't just pick up pick up a few books and expect it to change i mean it will have a huge impact on you but i always say yeah. number one advice you ask me ivan i'd say to people if you if you're interested in the subject of personal development get mentored find a mentor yeah no that's a really good point and when you were talking about knowledge and investing in yourself one thing that I wanted to touch upon is just that because you, you kind of talked about it indirectly is the fact that knowledge is important. It's like, you know, what you know is extremely important. Who you know matters, too. But even then, what you know can be largely theoretical because there's a lot of people that I know that read a lot of books and consume mass amount of information. But becoming practical and having experience around that paired with knowledge I think spreads great volumes. Go ahead, Courtney. I'm curious what your advice to people about finding a mentor is. Because I think it, having the right mentor matters a lot. Talking about like who you know, right? I think, you know, yeah. not just any mentor, that it's, 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 the fit is going to be pretty important. So how would you advise people to find a, 
treatment? I think you have to do a bit of research, really. And you're absolutely right. If the personality fit has to be there, um, but ultimately, what you also want, I mean, these days, unfortunately, there's far too many three-day certifications that people go on and then say, hey, I'm a coach, I'm a mentor. Uh, you need to basically do some proper research and, and ensure that they can really help you take you on that journey. Because the danger is that if you take somebody on and it isn't quite right, unfortunately, it would hamper your own confidence in the process. Absolutely. You've got to have faith in the process because it, it isn't going to happen overnight, but they will ask they will help ask the right questions to you, yeah. uh, which will in turn make you think purposefully and, and so on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just say that you've got to do some research, have some interviews with them and make sure that it sort of it syncs with you. Um, and that's yeah. going to be very essential when, when you when you work with them. You, you were saying like uh, about coaches versus mentors. There is a difference between a coach and a mentor. Um, so, and I think that that's a distinction that a lot of people don't quite realize. Um, so. I, what would you advise people about, you know, I think it's pretty easy to kind of go online and find a coach, right? You know, a lot yeah. of people are advertising for coaches, but how does one really go about finding a mentor specifically? That's a very specific kind of, yeah. Yeah, um, I think that you, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. This is why I touched upon earlier for people to realize that you, you shouldn't, well, find a coach if, if what you're after is, is, is pure performance improvement. But if you're trying to have a holistic approach, uh, then, you know, my, my suggestion really is, I mean, I think these days it, it's great that we've got internet on our hands. So you can certainly get um, get the information and, and reach out and then try and have discussions and make sure that their values are aligned to yours. I mean, I think that was a very important thing for me when I started looking for one that to ensure, I mean, I wrote, wrote down the things that I wanted to help, um, to have help in. And then I, I, one of the key criteria was to ensure that their values and my values were sort of aligned. Uh, it's something that I, I do even now. Um, you know, I had the mentors before, but even now when I'm doing sort of businesses, um, I, I also take on mentors for that specific thing. You know, we, we're working on a on, on globalizing our business currently. And so we, we went ahead and looked for the right mentor to help us. And, and ideally, these are the people who have done it. You know, that's quite important. So in our business, you know, I met Ken Minkus, who's been fantastic. He runs Industry Rockstar. They had already done their business in 32 countries. Now I'm trying to go into 20 countries. So this really sort of worked for me. So I decided to sort of work with them and they, they were great. And, and their value system is quite in sync with me. But yeah, so I think that's that's essential to make sure that, that the value systems work. Yeah, no, that's uh, excellent advice. And um, I would totally love to continue the conversation. I think, you know, there's been so much great insight, you know, uh, that we talked about here. But, uh, you know, before we sign things off, you know, I see if uh, let's tell everybody, uh, the entire audience, how can they find you Throw out some links, social channels? What's the best way to connect with you? Sure. Um, there's a. I think the best way is that you, you should go to my website, um, where you can find a lot about entrepreneurship, but also investments, because we do investments, as I talked about earlier. So if you have a great idea, feel free to pitch to us, and you'll find my social channels over there too. Uh, so the website address is um, asifm.world. That's A-S-I-F-M.world. Uh, and as I said, when you go there, you'll find everything else that you need in terms of Instagram, LinkedIn, and, and so on. So yeah, would love to hear from you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this was a great conversation. Uh, I want to thank both of you, Courtney, as always, and uh, Asif, amazing conversation. And uh, thank you so much for, you know, all the knowledge, um, all the education and uh, uh, everyone that uh, joined us on the live also and anyone that's going to be listening also in the pre-recorded version. So thank you both. 
Pull up on the block, eat a big cup and 